my sweet summer children, and welcome to my little unnamed podcast that you listen to while you walk the dog or drive to work or knit a sweater or scrub your kitchen floor. I'm your host, Bethany. Today's episode is Curse of the Side Diamonds Part 2. Welcome back. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Curse of the Side Diamonds Part 1, I suggest you do so. We spent some time in the jewelry world as I talked to you about trying to commission a ring. This time we're going to switch over to the world of studio art and I'm going to talk about the sort of differences between those two processes and those two experiences. Then I've got four steps for you in the event that you decide to try your hand at commissioning a creation for yourself to help you avoid all the mistakes I made in Curse of the Side Diamonds Part 1. So let's get started. So this time, my experience was amazing. In contrast to the experience I told you about last time, which was an unmitigated disaster. I'm gonna start with a little bit of background. So about 10 years ago, my older sister passed away from complications of adult onset diabetes. It was a really traumatic time for me and it was a really traumatic time for my parents and all of her friends and everyone who really cared about her. And it was, it was just so difficult. And maybe at some point I'll do an episode about sibling grief and the complexities of that, but that's not for today because today's going to be a happy episode. But you do need to know that I had an older sister and that she passed away some time ago. So in the meantime, I have taken up quilting and I used to sew when I was younger, like middle school, high school age. After taking home ec, I was pretty into it. By the time I took it though, they called it fax, but it's basically home ec and we learned to sew and cook and balance a checkbook and all this other home taking care of these stuff. So from that point on, I've been sewing. I used to cosplay when I was younger, so when I started sewing, I was only sewing clothes. And I would go to anime conventions and we'd cosplay and have a good time with all of my friends. And then after I left high school and I got out of college, and I really didn't go to anime conventions anymore, so it didn't really seem like there was any use for me to make cosplay costumes. So I just stopped sewing for about eight years. And then I met my husband and we got married. And on our first wedding anniversary, the mother of a dear friend of mine gave me a quilt for that gift-giving occasion. And I was looking at a bunch of squares and rectangles and I just thought, I can do this. So I got my sewing machine back out, I bought some fabric and I started making quilts. And that is an activity that I do to this day and continue to enjoy. But one thing that I noticed about quilting is that it's a predominantly white activity. It's a predominantly female activity and it's a, um, how can I say this delicately, a predominantly mature activity. Anecdotally, my experience is that most of the quilters are old white ladies because whenever I go into a quilt shop, the majority of people working there and shopping there are older white women. Now, I can't say I've ever been poorly treated in a quilt shop, but I can say that I am aware that I might be the only black person that they help all day. So a few Christmases ago, 
one of my best friends asked me to make a quilt for her daughter and she wanted Disney princesses. So I got on the internet and I looked for a panel. A quilting panel is a piece of fabric, usually somewhere about 42 inches tall by 20 inches wide. And it is a pre-printed image of whatever, tigers, princesses, Celtic knots, and you can pretty much find quilt panels on any subject matter or image matter that you're looking for. And I even made a quilt panel quilt with fabric from this really cute collection called Catitude. Um, if you're a fabric person, like just Google it, it, you will be completely charmed. It's like Lisa Frank is coming forward in time and you're having to sew with her like delightful, colorful creations. Anyway, back on track. I must have looked around for a few days before I found a quilt panel that was satisfactory. I know that she wanted Princess Ariel in her human form. And other than like Sleeping Beauty, Belle, Cinderella, which I would consider like the primary three Disney princesses, there really isn't a lot where you can find some of the other like less popular princesses. And I hope you can hear the air quotations in my voice that I'm making as I'm recording this. So occasionally though, you'll find Princess Ariel and even more occasionally, you will find her in her human form, which is exactly what I was able to find. And this quilt panel also happened to have Princess Tiana on it. And that really started me thinking about like, what if I wanted to make a princess quilt for my hypothetical child? Where can I find black princesses? Where can I find a black mermaid? Where can I find black fairies? Where can I find these images on fabric for me to use as an artist and a quilter? And the answer is nowhere that I could find. Maybe they exist somewhere in the depths of the bowels of the internet, maybe. I grew up watching anime and I love that beautiful like shoujo style. So a shoujo style anime is something like Sailor Moon for instance, or Cardcaptor Sakura are two pretty popular in America shoujo style animes. And like most quilters, I am into fabric. I'm a little bit addicted. And there are a few things that motivate me more than working with beautiful materials. So coming back to the black mermaids and black princesses and black people and all of that kind of connected to quilting fabric. So you might find African prints or I might find a particular piece of art that's been translated into a piece of fabric. But most of the time, anything that I've seen that had black people on it isn't really suitable for my sensibility or my aesthetic. Either when you look at it, you'll notice the faces and the features of the black people are really exaggerated, like the noses are really wide and flat, the lips are really large, or you'll see the opposite, which is that they took a white illustration, a white character, and just changed the skin color. So either way, Neither one of those are exactly what I want to be working with. So I decided enough. I want to be able to make and sew a blanket for a little black child of an adorable mermaid swimming through the ocean and having a good time. That is what I want. And since it didn't exist, I knew I was going to have to make it. So I did some searching across the depths of the internet and I looked at DeviantArt and I looked at Etsy and I looked at Sketchmob and I was looking for an artist who was willing to take a commission and an artist who is working in a style that matches my aesthetic 
and an artist who is interested in limited commercial usage of their work. That final point proved to be one of the trickiest parts of this whole adventure here. I finally found this website, womenwhodraw.com, that had a list of female identifying artists and illustrators. And as I scroll, at first I'm running into the same stuff. Nobody wants to offer a commercial use agreement. Commissions would all be for private use only, or for your website, maybe if they were making emotes for Twitch or, or something else for your digital social media presence, but nothing that I could use to get a piece of art and then take it someplace and make it into something physical until I found Jenny Taylor Beaufort. And I'll put this disclaimer in right now, Jenny, J-H-E-N-N-E, and I have only communicated in writing and I've only ever seen her name in print. So I'm not quite sure it's Jenny, but I'm reasonably sure it's Jenny. If it's wrong and it's not Jenny, I'm so sorry. And I will record a correction. So Jenny's art is a mix between that early 90s version of Sailor Moon and Princess and the Frog. It's somewhere between those two styles, like that, like they had a baby. So it's perfect for what I'm looking for. And she actually allows commercial use commissions. And so I get in touch with her and I fill out the commission request form, which kind of made me feel a little inept because she asked really detailed focused questions in her commission request form that I didn't exactly have answers for. I knew generally that I wanted a mermaid. I knew specifically that I wanted her to be black and I knew that I wanted her to be cute and I knew I did not want her to be sexy. And, and I knew that I wanted her to look like my sister. So at the time my sister died, she was 27 or 28 and had just kind of started to come out of that don't take pictures of me phase that it seems like all women go through. And what that means practically is that there aren't a lot of good pictures of her. And it seems like the longer she's gone, the fewer pictures we have of her, which I know is impossible because we're not losing photos. But as time goes on, more and more photos accumulate of me. And it just seems like there are less and less photos of her. So I wanted to honor her and I wanted her to bring her to life and have her bring smiles to people. And she was such an anime nerd, like she totally would dig this whole thing. So I fill out the form. Jenny asked me to make a Pinterest board so she could get a mood for the style, the color, the shapes, and I pay my deposit and we start this process. And we started this in the middle of the pandemic and it was mostly because I had a lot of time on my hands to devote to things that I'd always thought about doing but never really had the time to do them before. So we started with some basic sketches and we got more and more detailed as the process went forward. So over the whole course of the thing, we traded maybe 20 emails and each time we would be focused on a particular section before moving forward to the next section. And she's constantly checking back in with me. This is where the art is going. Do you like where it's going? Yes or no? Do you want to change something? And we had this really open and like lovely dialogue. And she took all of my feedback and incorporated it into the image that we were working to build. So I'm black. My sister is black. And because of that stuff that I mentioned earlier, where we're either having really broad 
very, very black features or were having a European face but with brown skin on it. I wanted to make sure that the illustrator was also someone who was black. That was something that was really important to me and I think that making a black person, an American black person, look like themselves is is a struggle for a lot of white artists. I'm not saying it's impossible and I'm not saying there aren't white artists out there who can do it, but I think that black artists have a better handle on the nuance of black faces. And I wanted that nuance in the image that I was creating. Also, as a black artist myself, it was really important for me to support other black artists. If you want your mind blown a little bit, Watch Killer Mike's series on Netflix called Trigger Warning. In the first episode, he does this wonderfully clear series of infographics that talk about how long a dollar is able to stay within different ethnic communities. Y'all, Black folk literally cannot hold on to a dollar. Our money leaves our own communities faster than any other group that Killer Mike mentioned. And... That was something that was important to him. It's the subject of his inaugural episode. And when I watched that episode, he made that important to me too. So I want to do my part. Jenny and I started working on this commission in May. And a few weeks into our work, George Floyd was killed in police custody. And look, man, ish got real for Black folks in America. And yet here we were, two Black women working on a piece of art that is designed to be whimsical and soft and joyful. And we each said to each other, as the news was coming out and as that story was developing, what an island of peace and joy it was to be working on that project at that time. This country sort of expects Black women to be strong and hard and sassy, but a lot of times we just end up traumatized and weary. And yet in the middle of all this tumult and stress and anger and pain. Here's our little mermaid and she was soft and delicate and bright and it really felt like a protest. Like she's my adorable little protest. So we go back and forth about the image for about four months and it would be here's what she looks like now what's your feedback and she always phrased it as feedback not like critiques or like what's wrong with it or what do you need me to fix she was very i hope or i imagine intentional about like feedback and when she asked me for my feedback that allowed the project to feel very much like a collaboration which i think was really key to the success of the work so we'll come back to feedback later at the end so like stick a pin in feedback and collaboration so we finished everything for the print in august and the plan was to take this image and use it to print fabric and that process is still pending for a few reasons a lot of the high quality fabric printers are overseas and COVID has put a dent in our ability to get everything we're used to getting from everywhere that it actually comes from. So now you say, Bethany, why didn't you just get fabric from Spoonflower or some other place like that? The answer is that Spoonflower fabrics fade in the wash. There is no sense spending the considerable time, effort, and resources it takes to make a quilt to have it fade in the wash after a few years. 
What I'm looking for is a high quality digital printing service that is as color fast as possible. I have done some test prints from custom fabric printing companies online and they all have fading. So I've reached out to the custom digital printing departments of mood.com, Robert Kuffman, and a couple of the other like top quilting fabric companies. But of course, with the plague on, they don't really have time for small business work such as what I would provide them. While I wait for the world to sort itself out, so a micro business like me can have access to high quality small batch printing, I printed up some fine art prints and I decided to name the image Under the Sea Dance Party. So while I can't make those quilts that started this whole journey that I've been on, I'm at least on the road to doing it and I can share a piece of her joy with the world. While I was working on her, the image, I didn't bring it up with many people, mostly my parents and a couple of really close friends and relatives. So when she was finished and I shared her on social media, I was super pleased that my sister's friends recognized that it was her. It was really important for me, for the people who knew my sister to be able to see her in that piece of art and not only see her face, but to see her spirit and her joy and her whimsy and see the things about her that we loved and that we deeply miss. This is a project I am really proud of. So in comparing the two experiences, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So the first thing is when you're getting something made and the vision for it is coming from your mind but has to be executed by someone else's hands, that person's creative mojo has got to line up with yours, that's step one. If they don't get exactly what it is you're trying to do, they're not gonna be able to execute it well and you will be frustrated and they will be frustrated and a bad time will be had by it all. Knowing if they're gonna vibe with you, if your two creative energies are going to go together, that's step one. Step two is being really clear about what you want and what you don't want and having the ability to like visualize it before the final decision is made. Now, sometimes I did not know what I wanted and sometimes I thought I knew what I wanted when I was working with Jenny. For instance, I thought I wanted the mermaid's hair to be more curly. And when Jenny sketched that out for me, I realized that I was wrong and I did not want that. And I asked her to revert to an earlier version. We did this back and forth with every major detail on the piece the hair, the tail, the arm position, the orientation of her body. I was able to okay each creative choice along the way. And this was something that I think we were able to do because it was a studio art situation and it would have been a challenge to do in the jewelry process that I talked about before. So that brings me to number three, which is communication. And this is closely tied to knowing what you want and the communication piece I want to address is not stopping until you are sure that you have clearly expressed yourself. No matter if you feel silly or redundant or whatever adjective you want to choose. If after you give your artist feedback, the next time you see the work and you don't feel that your feedback was properly incorporated, try again. Try a different way. Like in my feedback process, we were relying a lot on email, but as we were finishing up the tail section, we kept having a disconnect about the shape of it. And I didn't know how else to clarify myself. 
So what I did was printed out two or three copies of the draft of the image. I got my scissors out and I started cutting and pasting and taping things down and I got my pencil and I got my phone and I made a video and I took notes on the video in a way that she could see the specific area that I was talking about and what I felt need to be adjusted. So like communication, super, super, super commit to doing it and to getting it right. Even if it makes you feel dumb or even if it makes you feel like you're overdoing it or being a nag and God forbid we'd be a nag. I was concerned the entire time that she would think that I was the most particular asshole in the entire world, but that's not actually what she thought. When we were finishing up the process and she was delivering those final images to me, she said, I wish all my clients would be as clear as you were with me. And it was so validating because I am always worried about being a pain. And we had this added challenge of trying to create over distance. When you create with another person, I suggest you embrace the nag. It is what it is and sit with it because that other person is also an artist and their art is going to seep through your art. So it's your job to hold on to your vision. You must be committed to the feedback process. And that also goes back to number one, to make sure that your artistic ideas and their artistic ideas are compatible. Finally, know the commission process. Know all the steps in the process. Know what the anticipated timeline is for that particular kind of project. Make them lay it out for you in writing if you can. Know that when you are commissioning the creation of something, the artist is not doing you a favor. This is an equal relationship between peers. You are paying them and they are providing a service. So don't allow them to devalue or ignore your feedback and know what the recourse is if they do. I would also suggest keeping a record of the conversations about the project just in case you run into shenanigans. So even though it's number four on this list of things you should be doing, really it's number one. When you understand the commission process and how it works and where you're protected and how it is the both parties can get exactly what they want, that's where a lot of the power lies. Don't handshake, get a contract, make them take notes and just like everything that I did in part one of the Curse of the Side Diamonds, that's all the stuff that I don't want you to do, okay? I don't know what I was thinking. I'd never done it before. It was an experiment. So far it's failed twice and I want you to be able to learn from my failures, okay? As long as you both understand what's going on, as long as the process is laid out and it's clear and fair, that's gonna be where the most success is. So that's what I wanna share. There's just gonna be sometimes as women, as black people, as human beings, where there's nothing that exists already for you. And where if you wanna see the kind of representation that you wish you had when you were little, and you wanna provide that kind of representation for people coming up behind you, we're gonna have to start making stuff. And when you find that thing that you really wanna make, when you find that medium that you wanna work in, in a place where there should be a space for you, but there isn't, and where there should be a product for you, but there isn't, and you decide, this is my time, this is the thing that I'm taking on, and I'm gonna make it, and I'm gonna make it available for anyone who needs it, I wanna offer you some encouragement. And I'm offering you encouragement, and I'm encouraging myself as I continue on this journey, under the Sea Dance Party will not be the last commission I have designed with the intention of turning it into fabric. And 
just be encouraged, boo, as Kirk Franklin would say. Prints of Under the Sea Dance Party are available on my shop on Etsy, Brown Girl Quilting. If you like mermaids, black girl magic, clownfish, stingrays, puns, I mean, she's carrying a C MP3 player, also known as a shell phone. You don't have to laugh, I'll laugh for both of us. <laughs> then I 10 out of 10 recommend it for you or the little chocolate drop in your life who likes those things too. My little unnamed podcast would like to extend some thank yous and acknowledgements. Jenny Taylor is a San Francisco Bay Area illustrator. Her website is JennyTaylor.com. And remember, that's J-H-E-N-N-E. Under the Sea Dance Party was made for the exclusive use of brown girl quilting. That's me. And cannot be purchased from any other shop. The Brittany Hall Memorial Scholarship named for my late sister, works in partnership with the J.B. Morris Scholarship supporting Iowa students at Iowa schools. To date, the Brittany Hall Memorial Scholarship has supported six students, some for the duration of their four-year degree by providing $2,000 scholarships, which help them offset the cost of school. You can learn more about the Brittany Hall Memorial Scholarship Fund on Facebook. And lastly, our music comes to us by Scientific Uppercut. Find them on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere music is streamed or sold. As for me, you can drop me a note in my email, browngirlcreating at gmail.com. You can also follow my quilting exploits on Twitter at B underscore G underscore quilting. And until next time, my dears, be brilliant. <laughs>